What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. And for those of you tuning with us online this evening, thank you so much for joining with us online. Wish you could have been here in person, but if you're tuning online later, I want to invite you personally to come on down to 1225 Cape Road, Jackson, Missouri on a Wednesday night at seven o'clock. We meet every Wednesday night. We love to pray with you and your families about whatever needs you may have going on in your life. If you want to come on Sunday mornings at 1030, Joy Church will be having their service right here at the same location. So come on down. I want to go ahead and get ready to introduce Daniel, our speaker tonight. And we met actually through the leadership um, meetings we have once a month at Christ Church of the Heartlands, Act Strong's Church, and I had him come on Unified. So this is actually the first time we've met in person since that leadership conference. We did it online when I last talked to him. But uh, go ahead and put your hands together for me with Daniel. He's going to give a discretion. I'll let him do all that before we get started. But thank you for tuning online. I'm sorry I forgot to finish. Uh, I'm Pastor Trenton Cruz, lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. And here is Daniel Glasgow. So thank All right. You. Thank you. Let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you for who you are, Father, and for what you are. Father, for what you do for us. Father, I thank you that you have brought us all together tonight. Now I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to be able to hear the word that you have sent for me, through me. Father, give me the words that you want these people to hear. In your holy name we pray. Amen. As he said, my name is Daniel Glasgow. I want to give you a real quick disclaimer, all right? If, um, if you are watching this or if you're here I am going to be talking about some kind of sensitive topics, um, so, topics of pornography, um, of molestation, of rape. So if any of these are topics that you don't want your children to hear or you're not comfortable with, I understand and, um, you know, you may want to not watch the podcast or if you guys need, um, you know, you can talk to one of your pastors and I'm sure they have something else for you to do. All right. Um, I am Daniel Glasgow. Um, I am 57 years old. I live in Cape Girardeau. I am the father of one beautiful daughter. She's 32. And uh, she made me a grandpa. I'm a grandpa of two. I have a six-year-old grandson and a two-year-old granddaughter. And then I uh, also am a new father of a 15-year-old um, bully. She's a precious little um, half pit bull and half bulldog, and I'm telling you what, she is the love of my life. Um, God truly blessed me. If you look at my hands, I'm quite well bitten. Um, if you look anywhere, you'll see that I'm scratched. It's because she is a, she is a puppy. But anyway, that's a little bit about me. Um, I wanted to share with you my story, and uh, my story started when I was 12, um, first of all, another little disclaimer for you is nothing that I'm going to share with you had anything to do with my parents. 
okay? It's no reflection on my parents. It's no reflection on the people that I grew up with, on any of my family. This all has to do with decisions that I made for me that I then suffered the consequences for, all right? So at age 12, a friend of mine and I were in his backyard, and he said, hey, come here, I got something I want you to see. Well, what he had found is he had found some of his dad's Playgirl magazines or Playboy magazines. And um, here we are in the backyard, and it's like, whoa, I saw something that intrigued me. And it started a, a desire. It started a, a craving inside of me to see more and to see more and to see more. Well, that then led into, at the age of 15, um, I had my first same-sex relationship. The guy that I was in a relationship with was 35 at the time. And um, then I went from there. At the age of 16, I openly came out to everyone around me. At the age of 16, I was brutally raped, and um, the people really didn't care, you know, if I lived or not. And you say, well, today you would have gone to your police department. Well, remember, that would have been back in 1981. And so you really didn't go to the police because they were going to go, ha, ha, ha. Okay, and then they were going to laugh at you, and you would have been in worse situation, Okay. Uh, again, two years later, when I was a senior in high school, I was raped again, actually by the same three people that raped me the first time. And that time they left me for dead, and they really did not care. Um, about five hours later, I was able to walk about 100 yards away to a payphone and call my parents, and then they came and rescued me. From there, at the age of 18, I moved to Orlando, Florida. I became a male prostitute. Um, I was a prostitute for four years, selling my body for uh, anybody that wanted to, to abuse it. Um, that would have been in 1983. In 1983 is when I began prostitution. Um, that was also the heat of the AIDS epidemic. That was just the beginning of it. I was seeing... Let's just put it this way. There was around a 1,000 people that I had sex with unprotected at, during that time of my life. Um, from there, uh, I went on to, at the age of 21, I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, and probably the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my life happened to me then, and that was my grandmother, the one person that I loved more than anything, the one person who watched out for me, the one person who understood me, the one person that wrapped her arms around me and said, it's okay, I got you on this. I got you, you're okay, you're safe. She died. It was that day that I can tell you, my life just was shattered. God watched out for me that day and he sent a family, I lived in Nashville, he sent a family from Carbondale, Illinois, where I was originally living, or where I'm from. And um, where I was working, I saw them in a line, and they came forward, and um, they were there with me during that time. God started uh, doing some things. I was heavy into drugs and alcohol. Cocaine was, um, at that time, what I considered my best friend. And I was an addict. 
Um, when grandma died, I got in my car to head for that four hour drive back to Carbondale. And um, my car blew up on the side of the road. And if you've ever been from here to Nashville, Highway 24 gets kind of lonesome out there. And uh, finally, someone picked me up and took me to uh, the next exit where I was able to call my father. And my father sent my brother uh, on a three-hour trip to come and get me to bring me home. It was during that time that I sat on the hood of my car and I cursed God. How could you? What are you thinking? You say you love me, but you took the most important thing in my life away from me. You can't love me because you took her. And she's the only thing that I knew about love was my grandma. Somehow I made it through her funeral. Um, I was very heavily uh, drugged during that time. Um, shortly after grandma died, I took another job assignment in Knoxville, Tennessee, where I met up with a completely different set of people. Still drugs, still alcohol, still prostitution, but they were doing more. And um, one night uh, I went out with them. I don't know how I made it home, but whenever I did make it home, I said, this is it. I'm going to kill myself. I can't do this anymore. I can't live without grandma. I can't do what I'm doing. I hate my life. I hate everything about me. I want to die. And I took an overdose. When I woke up, excuse me, my mouth is really dry right now. Not always the easiest things to talk about our past. When I woke up, I was still alive. And I called my mom. And I said, I don't know what's going on. About six hours later, my mom and dad arrived at my home and they moved me back home. My mother then helped nurse me through my addiction to cocaine. And um, if it wasn't for my mom, I'd probably not be here today. Uh, from there, I met a beautiful lady. She's from Scott City, Missouri. Um, Trenton knows her. And uh, she is, her name is Angela. Um, Angela and I fell madly in love with each other, and she was God's first gift to me. And um, we were married about six months after we married or after we met, and uh, then we had, like I said, my beautiful daughter, and she is absolutely the most perfect thing ever. Um, we became very active in church. I was uh, producer for Tri-State Christian Television over in Marion. We were very active in church, and it was during this time that God was really, really starting to use us both, Angela and myself, both in praise and worship. We were in a church um, that we were the praise and worship leaders. We had a full orchestra. Um, it was great. We knew God was moving, and God was moving, and he was using us, and it's a great feeling to know you're where you're supposed to be. And um, one night during our after praise and worship practice, the pastor's wife came up to me and said, I need to talk to you. So we went to the front row of the, the church and she said, 
I understand that you were a homosexual. Well, first of all, I never didn't say it. I never didn't acknowledge it. It was just, why talk about it? Okay. So I was like, yeah. And uh, she goes, well, do you know that God doesn't like homosexuals? Do you know that he hates them? And do you know that because of what you did, you will never again be used by God? You will never again lead praise and worship. You will never again do anything for the church. It was that night again that my heart and my life shattered. That sent me spiraling down a very bad hole. Um, Angela and I were trying desperately to keep things together, and um, it just didn't work. And uh, about six months after um, that, um, we found out that Angela was going to have a baby, and uh, we knew it wasn't mine. And uh, so we separated, and then we divorced. And what I knew God had given me was gone. Um, I went back into homosexuality, to drinking, to drugs, and lots of pornography. Lots of pornography. I would literally rather spend time behind a computer screen watching pornography than spend time with my daughter, or my mom, or my dad, or anybody. That That became my life. It consumed me completely. Um, after several failed relationships, um, I turned 50 and, um, my daughter got married and let me tell you guys, she married the most perfect man I could ever ask for. I mean, he, Tim is perfect in my book. I mean, she's my daughter, but he's my son by choice. And, um, I, I love him because he became a father to my, my grandchildren. He became a husband to my daughter, and he gave her security that I couldn't do anymore. At that point, um, I didn't want to be the grandpa that lived an hour away in Carbondale, so I moved to Cape Girardeau. You know, what better thing to do? Uproot, sell everything you have, uproot your entire life, and move, Right. <laughs> I mean, hey, who can ask for more? I love living in Cape Girardeau. <laughs> I really do. But uh, anyway, so, I, you know, a little bit of the rest of the story. I became a grandpa of two. Um, but God had a different plan. I, di- I did move here um, in same-sex attraction relationships, still drinking and still doing drugs. Okay. But on December, or I'm sorry, January 13th of 2020, I was sitting in a church service, and um, let me back up just a second, because this is kind of important. I'm a tailor, all right? By trade, I'm a tailor. You young people, do you know what a tailor is? It's a person that sews and makes clothes and fixes clothes and all that kind of stuff. Okay, I'm a tailor. And so I'm working... And uh, a guy walks in my store and he goes, hey, can you fix a suit for me? Well, it was right around uh, Christmas time. And I was like, sure, what do you want? Well, he's got one of those goofy suits that has like Christmas lights all around it and stuff. And he needed to fix. Well, we became friends. And um, he 
never one time preached at me. He never quoted a scripture, and he never invited me to church. But for about a year, he and I were becoming very good friends. And um, one night, um, I woke up, I'm sorry, one morning I woke up, and the impression was, you've got to get him off your case, because he's hounding you constantly about going to church. Well, let me remind you, he never had invited me to go to church. So I pick up my phone, I like, you know, I text him, hey, what time's church start? And he says, 9 and 11. I said, all right, I want to get this over with, so I'll be there at 9 a.m. And I was there. Whenever I walked through the doors, he was there greeting me, and he said, hey, go find a seat. Once you find your seat, you know, I'll try to catch up with you. Well, little did I know that he was one of the pastors of the church. <laughs> little did I know. Now, remember, he'd never quoted a scripture he had never told me, you know, you need to come to church. He had never asked me to church. But his life, I wanted. I wanted to live like he did. So it was the Holy Spirit that was working through him, putting a lot of pressure on me to do what God wanted me to do. Well, I went. I never, never didn't go then. I was addicted again to church. You know, it's a bad thing to be addicted to. But at the same time, I would go to church on Sunday morning, I'd go home that afternoon, I'd do my drinking, I'd do my drugs, and I would keep going. I would do that again on Sunday morning, I would go, I'd do my drinking and my drugs, and I'd be doing everything else. Until January 13th of 2020. I was sitting in a church service that evening, and um, I heard the most audible voice, just like you're hearing me right now. Say, raise your hands, surrender to me, and your life will never be the same. Well, the evangelist that was preaching that night, excuse me again, in his sermon had said, there is a homosexual, there is an alcoholic, there is a drug addict, there is a witch, which I had been involved in Wiccan, okay? There is a witch. He called all these things out and said, that's here tonight that God's going to change your life. I'm sitting there watching, going, okay, there's, glad, glad y'all are here somewhere. Little did I know it was me that he was talking to, all four in one. Anyway, God changed my life that night, right there on the spot. My friends that were there with me that night, I was like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to get out of here. I got to go home. I got to go. Well, it wasn't because I was embarrassed. It was because I wanted to get home. God had impressed me to go home and clean house. Now, I'm not talking pledge and a towel, okay? I'm talking getting the crap off of your, excuse me, but getting the stuff off of your shelves and into a box and into the garbage can. Well, I called my friends after I'd loaded up five boxes into the back of my truck and I said, where's the church dumpster? And they're like, why do you want the church dumpster? I'm like, trust me, I want the church dumpster. They met me there. They watched me throw these five boxes of pornography, alcohol, drugs, everything you can imagine that shouldn't have been in my home that was into that church dumpster. And um, I did that for one reason. I knew if I threw it away in my home, I didn't have the ability to say no to myself. 
I knew that the next morning, oh yeah, this is great. God touched your life. Go throw it all into the garbage can outside your house. The next morning, you go out and you drag it all right back in. Well, guess what? What I didn't know is the church dumpster was getting picked up at 6 a.m. the next morning before I ever woke up. It was gone. So now I'm searching. No, I'm not. Um, So anyway, yeah, I'm not searching for any of it. Um, Shortly after that, in March, um, God started speaking to me. And uh, it became very important that I, to me, that I stay as close and that I get in with God as much as I possibly could. And so I was listening to every podcast, every sermon, YouTube. I was just soaking it all in. And I had two friends that um, kind of adopted me as their, as their son, even though they're only a couple years older than me. Um, they, they took me in and they were pumping the word into me. And um, I'm laying in bed one night, and I saw before me a TV screen. And I saw men just coming forward by the hundreds. And um, God was touching their lives, and he was changing their lives. And that was great. I loved that. I loved that, that whole image couple weeks later I had another one and um, God showed me like a, a, a smokestack coming out of the top of a guy's head and that well if I say chimney pipe you guys know what chimney pipe is it's round it goes all the way up okay it was that and then God took me and he showed me down through it looking down and it was filled with junk I mean, junk, like it needed the chimney sweep to come and you know clean the thing out. Well, what it was crowded with was pornography, drugs, lies, deception, fraud. These were all things that were crammed down in there. And then God showed me that when a man starts getting his life right, those things come out. Well, then it was, that is the pipeline to heaven, Okay. So have you got this image? This guy's got a pipe coming out. All right. So what happened then is um, I started going through a um, almost deliverance process where I was forgiving and I was praying for and I was asking God to separate and to divide me from the things that I had done in my, in my life. And um, God started really cleaning up my life a lot. And um, it was then in July that the final one came. And uh, I was at Christ Church of the Heartland, as you had mentioned, where we met. And um, they had a prophet there, and his name was Steve Sampson. And uh, he came right over to me, and he said, God has just shown me that he has given you a ministry that you are going to plow the hardest ground that you will ever plow. No church wants to plow this ground. No pastor wants to touch this ground, but God has called you to do it. Whoa. 
I thought that, you know, okay, it's same-sex attraction. You know, that's what God's going to use me in. I just knew it. That's where I'd come from. Well, about a week later, um, a guy came, and he brought me a DVD series. He said, I, I really want you to watch this. And I did. And it was instantly God said, pornography addiction is what I'm calling you to. So it was at that point then that Restored Warriors started. Restored Warriors is a ministry that we help men and now women um, overcome their pornography addictions. What we don't realize is that statistics have been shown that 68% of the men in the church have some kind of unwanted sexual behavior. Some kind of unwanted sexual desires or attractions and nine times out of ten those are pornography those statistics were done before covid when covid shut everything down he opened up restored warriors by the way but when covid shut everything down what did you have to do nothing what were you doing you're on your phone or you were on your computer you were trying to keep up with things and more and more and more men started finding themselves addicted to pornography. And if their pornography addiction wasn't bad enough, it went worse. Okay? Today, um, Restored Warriors has been in effect for um, coming on two years. And God has uh, taken us from the very first meeting that we had. We had five people. To today, we have over 200 we're in all 50 states, and we're in 11 countries. And um, it's just continuing to grow. Now, I want no credit for anything because it's not me that's doing it, all right? Where does the pornography addiction start? It usually starts around age 10 to age 12. They see it. They stumble on it. Everybody starts getting their phone by then, right? Do you guys realize that what I'm holding in front of you is the world's largest porn store? Yeah. Right here. It's the world's largest porn store. You don't have to do anything more than ask, and you'll find it. Okay? Now, you young guys that are here right now, I'm not giving you thoughts. I'm giving you a challenge, okay? A challenge to stay away from it because you don't need it. Okay. Um, okay. What do we do? We help people to discover where their addiction is. And then we help them go from that addiction to a restoration. More than likely, somewhere along that line, the wife has found out and she has become hurt. We now have a ministry for women, a betrayed, a betrayed spouse, for men that have a pornography addiction. And um, anyway, that's what we do. No church wants to tackle that ground. Most churches don't even have a ministry of any kind for men that have pornography addiction. They don't know what to do. 
we're not here to be a church. We're here to help the church. We're here to be an aid to the church. Most pastors don't have a psychological degree to be able to help the guys, to be able to know what to do, to be able to find their help, to be able to coach them through. That's where we step in. So there is several things that um, we do and we do not do. First of all, we don't disclose anybody's information. We're completely confidential. We don't do any meetings in person. Everything is done online. We, um, at my church, I have men that are in our program that nobody would ever know that are in it. And we do that. I can walk in the front doors. I can walk right up to them, go, hey, how you doing? And shake their hand and keep walking right on by them. I don't want any of the guys to be outed because of something that we did. I mean, imagine this. If you have a church that has a program for sexual addictions um, and you're sitting next to the people and the pastor goes, hey, guys, if you've got any sexual issues, you know, hey, we're going to in room 204, we're going to be meeting down there, okay? Come on down and see us after church. And so the guys start trucking down to 204, and Grandma, who was just sitting next to you, is now going, oh, so Billy has a sexual addiction. Guess what? Billy will never not have a sexual addiction because of grandma she'll never get past it it will be known and it will be told okay he's going to have that stigma on his back for the rest of his life we don't do that we give you confidentiality and we give you privacy we don't care who you are we don't care what you do we don't care where you live just be a part of the group be a part of the meeting, and we're going to keep your information confidential. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Was there anything that I have left out that I should mention? I know I tried to skim over my, my story. Groups work via Zoom. We use the Zoom platform. And um, they are two hours in length. We start out and we do an accountability. And that's where every man will do a what's called a check-in. And that is where we will ask them some pointed questions. We have a scale that's called the faster scale. And it is how you rank your week that you went on. Were you uh, in what stage? And it's kind of detailed. You have to kind of look at it online to understand. But... I, it's not something I can explain. But anyway, we ask them where they fell on that, and then we ask them, what did you do to help your spouse? Did you keep up your commitment to no pornography, no masturbation, no lust? And then we ask, what are you going to do this week to improve that and to keep going forward? We then go through a program that we have, um, the first one is called uh, Sexual Integrity 101, 
and it teaches you about what the brain does to you whenever you're addicted to anything, whether it's pornography, whether it's alcohol, or whether it's drugs. Your brain is 100% your problem. Um, then we go into, after the program, we do a prayer request, and you're done, usually in two hours. After that, uh, the program we have where we ask the guys to make connections with three other guys that are in their groups during the week to where they keep their accountability. If people could overcome this addiction on their own, we wouldn't have one man that looked at pornography. But you can't. You cannot do it alone because it's a secret hidden sin. You don't want anybody knowing about it. No man will openly come to you and go, yeah, I look at porn. Because society looks at it as a bad thing. Even though society pushes it, they look at it as a bad thing. And so, <clears throat> anyway, um, we also then have a program that's called Seven Pillars of Freedom, which walks you through an even deeper uh, exploration of your addiction. And um, then I'm currently writing a brand new program that will take you through a discipleship program. That once you've learned everything about overcoming your addiction, you still need to be going through discipleship. Uh, we believe that 100% everything you learn, <clears throat> excuse me, you can use in alcohol, drugs, sex, any addiction that you have, you can use our principles into it. Um, there. Yes. You know, we can ask questions? Yes, absolutely. So, if you wanted to, if you wanted to, to, to join the next, the uh, Restored Warriors, mm -hmm. how would you, okay, if you want to join the Restored Warriors, <clears throat> first of all, you said it's for men and women, or they're two separate groups? If you go to restoredwarriors.org, um, you can ask for more information. Whenever you ask for more information, it will say, are you asking for male or female? And then that will route to whichever director needs to be approaching and contacting you back. So, um, so that's all you have to do is go to restoredwarriors.com and dot that, org. Or, or dot org and that's how you would join yep. restored warriors it will give you it'll give you step by step yep. um, directions on how to become yes yes and and since it is confidential it's not like i don't really know what zoom is but it's not like you can see all these 200 men right, right. Or, because you're, if it's our groups are limited to 10 people and zoom it would be um, do you have like uh, on your phone can you FaceTime uh, is it like duo or uh, it's an online video platform where they can see me and I can see them and you can see each other but the only there's only 10 people allowed in a group and it would only be those 10 people that would know your identity. And those 10 people are also gonna be your accountability partners. Okay, you want them to know who you are. And is it normally, the 10 people, is it normally people within your- Never. Ge it's never in your ge never. geographical area? I will not allow that. <laughs> That's good. 
that's good. No. You never have to worry about being in an area that someone else is in. Now, if you're from Cape Girardeau, because we are based out of Cape Girardeau, yes, you're going to be in the same general vicinity as what I am. Okay? And that can be different for some people. Some people like the fact that we can go out and talk and have coffee. Um, or water. <laughs> uh, I don't like coffee. But anyway, um, some people enjoy that. And some people don't want to have anything to do with it. But to answer your question, you would never be in someone within a 150-mile radius of you. Okay? Thank you. Does that help?